if you are overfunctioning in every area of your life and people are telling you that you're overfunctioning and it's normal for you, I think that's a good red flag. Like maybe that's a reason to just like go check in, like go check in with a therapist and find out if there's something that could give you more peace. What's up, guys? It's Jeff Burningham, and welcome to the Extraordinary Us podcast. This is going to be a good one. I'm already laughing with my guests. It's fun to interview friends and people that you may or may not have heard of, tell their stories. Here's the purpose of the podcast. Number one, no matter our differences, and we're all different, uh, we all always have a lot more alike than we do different. And somehow we've forgotten that in this day and age in politics, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, because of that, let's exhibit compassion towards each other. There is too much competition and comparison, especially in our culture, and not enough compassion. We are all fellow travelers on this journey, and we need to reach out and lift each other up. Number three, too often we let mistakes of the past and fear for an unknown future cloud our judgment and help us make bad decisions. I hope that this podcast elicits more compassion for those around you and eradicates fear and helps us make good decisions. And uh, today I have in the podcast studio friends of mine, longtime friends, Tim and Aubrey Chavez. Hey, Jeff. Hey. What's up? So guys? good to be Thanks with for you. Having us. It's always good to see you guys. Always good. Yes. So let me tell you a little bit about these guys. If you don't know them, they are both entrepreneurs in their own right. I'm going to say I met Tim as a young up and coming entrepreneur and we have quite a history in entrepreneurship. It's true. <laughs> and there is Siri. Siri's having a hard time here. It's Tim and I invented Siri together. And, no, actually, we didn't. Don't, don't believe that. Um, so yeah, Tim and I have some ups and some set successes together in entrepreneurship. Yep. And we also have some downs. This reminds me of, we had a little office when I started Peak Capital Partners, or whatever, many years ago. We had a little office at the mouth of the canyon here in Provo, and Tim office in the basement. That's right. And yes. I would run down those stairs to the basement every other day or so. Yeah. And what was we had this business okay. which shall not go. be named. Yep. Should we not name it, <laughs> we, or should we, probably we name shouldn't. it? Okay. okay, we can name it. What was, it was Cortex. Oh yeah, Cortex. Cortex. Yep. And what did I? What did I remember? We had so many problems with that little business. It was a we tough. Were, yeah, we were racking our brains and minds. What did I call it? Did called, it, it? I believe you called it the devil's favorite hobby. That was, <laughs> I was gonna say the devil's playground, but yeah, I think you no, said, I think it was right. The devil's favorite it was not, hobby, not inaccurate. Oh, so. I totally. That is what I called it. Yeah, now. Tough business. Tough yeah, business. I was one time. Tim and I just have our heads down on the desk, and we're like, oh, again, another. And I'm like, cortex, the devil's <laughs> yeah. favorite hobby. That is 100 true. Unfortunately, but, yeah. But by the way, it's gone up since there. Things yes. have gone well for Tim and entrepreneurship. Tim went to Harvard. Tim and Aubrey went, took their family to Harvard. Let's We'll talk about that a little bit. I think I wrote a letter of recommendation. You did, to Harvard yes. And, right. Well, and yeah. I should give I should give the devil's, the devil's favorite hobby its due as well. That made it into an essay in my wow. application. Yes, it did. There were uh, two essays that you had to write, one on a success that you had had and one on a, on a, a setback. Failure. Yeah, or a failure. And I wrote about I wrote about cortex and like <laughs> was it was the title of the essay the devil's favorite hobby? <laughs> oh, man. It should have been. It should have been. But yeah. it, it it is one of those things where it, at least even though it was tough at the time, you know, you look back on it and are able to connect the dots and say like 
you know, everything, maybe not everything, but most things can turn around or at least be learning experiences that, that help you in the long run. And isn't that a great metaphor for life? That's yeah. how life is. Aubrey is Tim's wife. They are, the, and she's an entrepreneur in her own right. Are you still doing cakes? Like, I, yeah, I remember yeah. this. Yes, yeah. They were beautiful of, and delicious. Thank oh, thank you. Tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, it was just a creative outlet that sort of morphed into a business. Um, we had little kids at home and I just, and we lived in a little apartment at the time and it was a way to be creative without creating clutter. Oh, <laughs> we could cool. just, you know, Clean we could eat the crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I just, it, it kind of, grew and grew. And then um, I started making wedding cakes and birthday cakes and bar mitzvah cakes. And it was kind of a fun That's little awesome. hobby that I did in the middle of the night. And is that still happening? Uh, yeah, yeah. What's I, the name of the business? It's called Luna Cakes. Luna Cakes. Luna Cakes. Yeah. Luna, Check it out. Luna because it means moon in Spanish. And her yeah. preferred method of working is everyone goes to bed and she stays up all night and we wake up and there's a beautiful cake sitting on the counter in the morning. And, and then you're like, what was for breakfast, kids? No, exactly. yeah. We have the best family yeah. ever. <laughs> we eat cake yep. for breakfast. Yep. You sprinkle Frosting. frosted flakes on the cake. The funny thing is, I don't even think you guys eat sugar. Do, do you, are you eating sugar right now or yeah, not? I, I know you have gone in and out of eating sugar in your life. This seen, has been like a seen, roller you've coaster. You've seen me fluctuate. No, I would say I, I follow a very moderate diet now. So like if you were to offer, if you're Offered me a, a sweet roll right now. I'd probably, I would probably. You take it. it. Yeah. What about you, Ezra? Are you eating? Yeah, sugar? yeah, yeah. But okay. this is funny. We just talked about this, Ezra. Ezra, yesterday you said, "Remember when you guys thought watermelon just had too much sugar?" And we were like, "Oh yeah, that was like, <laughs> there was an era. <laughs> there was an avoid, era where watermelon yeah. was it. avoid watermelon. <laughs> is watermelon, watermelon cost, like ninety-seven yeah. percent water? I believe so. But like the three percent is sugar, and that's the problem. Yeah. Oh, I told you we were gonna have fun today. Ninety-seven percent water, three percent sugar. <laughs> Sugar and the watermelon. Yeah, I always thought watermelon was a healthy snack, but anyways, okay. Not sometimes in the Chavez's house. Sometimes that is not the case. Yep, yep. So these guys are awesome. They have four beautiful children, and today we're going to talk about faith because they are also. I, I would call them the co CEOs, but we have friends that may not allow that. They are on the board. <laughs> of Faith Matters and also do the podcast, That's right. which is yeah. a super cool podcast. If you haven't checked it out, do so. And so we're going to talk about entrepreneurship a little bit. We're going to talk about faith, families, mental health, etc. Yeah. Where should we start? How about this? Tell us about Chavez. Where does that name come from? Like, oh, tell us oh, about your heritage. A great yeah. place to start. Yeah, yeah that's that's where we start. Back to the beginning. Yeah, guys. yeah for sure. So the the name goes back to uh, to my grandfather. Uh, we don't know a lot. Okay, so. I should say there's always been um, th there's always been some question around my grandfather's last name and who his who his biological parents were, mm. um, and regardless, he he became an immigrant to the U.S. as a as a baby. This is back in the in, in the twenties. His <clears throat> his mother that raised him uh, had the last name had the last name Chavez, and it means it's a Portuguese name. It means keys. Um, so we do have, and we just got our our ancestry DNA done, and it was really cool. To see, and I don't know if you've seen this yeah. uh, this feature where you can go and and just view a map, and it'll sort of like do hot spots of where your ancestor, or not your ancestors, but your blood relatives that have had their an ancestry done and made public live. And so, like we both, you know, see obviously a lot all around the U.S., but I've got a real hot spot over in over in Puerto Rico. Um, where I have tons and tons of blood relatives. We've never, and we've never been. It's one of our goals. We hope to go soon and yeah. meet that whole side of the family because it's totally, you know, a, in many ways, a world apart from the, the culture that we live in and 
know, it'd be really cool. Yeah, Puerto Rico is a great place. Yeah. That'd be fun. You, you, I think you'll be there soon. I'm just, I see your future. I, and I think so. in the next yeah. year, you may spend some time there. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you grew, both grew up in Utah. <clears throat> That's yeah. right. In fact, I think you were high school friends or sweethearts. Sorry yeah, if I, yeah. I, I yes. don't remember exactly when it's the complicated sweetheart and, and part painful. remember, yeah. but I think you've been friends. Like, did yeah. you grow up in the same neighborhood or go to the same schools or I can't remember? Very close. Yeah, very close. We went, oh, we met when we were like 12 or 13. Yep, seventh grade English. School, yeah. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so were you guys both in the time. awkward phase or did Audrey oh, not so have an awkward, awkward phase? I, I had always wanted glasses and braces. And in seventh grade, <laughs> I got both. All my dreams came true. So no, no, I didn't have an awkward phase. <laughs> That's better than Sally. Sally, I make fun of her. She had headgear. Actually, oh, she didn't, but awesome. I say that. <laughs> Just she had these huge glasses. She had like the bangs and the... And did you know Sally? Amazing. Did you know Sally? No, okay. I didn't know Sally. I'm saying this is from pictures. <laughs> yeah, and okay. she just had braces, but yeah. I, I tell the kid she had headgear and she gets so mad. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you met. Yes. Yep. We dated yes. in high school. Okay. Uh, it was a little bit off and on. We don't need to go yeah. too deep into that. But we started dating really seriously. I, I uh, served an LDS mission, got back. When I was 21, dated for six months and got married, and we've uh, been together ever since. So that's awesome. Yeah, isn't a great marriage like the best thing to ever happen to you? Yeah. It is 100. percent Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you both Tim you you both went to BYU, I think. So I actually went to Utah State. Okay. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. That's, you're education. an Aggie. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I am. Sally's from Logan, and oh, her really? dad was the dean of the business college at Utah really? State. Really? Oh, oh so. wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Sally studied elementary education. So really? did you teach? Yeah, yeah, I did. What grade? Until our older, uh, fourth grade. Fourth grade. Awesome. Yeah, so it's so fun. All of my students are like 22, 23 and getting married. And so oh, wow. now I make their wedding cakes. It's been so fun. Like they grew <laughs> up. Full circle. They grew up and I get to see them all now again. I'll say that she is yeah. she is the best fourth grade teacher ever because every literally every year since she ha- had, she taught fourth grade for two years. And she has sent every one of those students a birthday card every single oh, year. Are you <laughs> serious? Well, they, I had a first class and a last class. So it did. It, it was kind of a lucky situation. They all feel yeah. like, you know, they were the first. And they so were like our first kid. She's really kept in touch with them. And they're really close now. And so they are. They're getting married and having babies. And Aubrey's making cakes for them. And every it seems like every couple of weekends we're interacting with at least one of them. So yeah, it's really, really it's really cool. That is so cool. Yeah. I'll say that Sally was the favorite second grade teacher yeah. ever oh. in Utah. She taught second grade. Oh, I, I believe that. Yeah. So then, did you go straight to entrepreneurship, Tim? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I started uh, with a with a partner. Um, I started that iPhone cover business. It was called IRAP while while we were at BYU, and kept it going a few years after uh, graduation. Cool. So So what have you what have you loved? Yeah, about entrepreneurship. What have you learned in entrepreneurship? What are some of your takeaways, guys? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Um, I, I think what's funny is a lot of time you you hear about entrepreneurship like the reason people go into entrepreneurship is that they want the freedom mm-hmm. and my experience <laughs> <laughs> you can see where i'm going with this the devil's hobby yeah, yeah. is not freedom yeah, yeah the devil i mean i think it can enable i mean in certain businesses yeah. you know perhaps yeah. uh, while you're doing it it can enable it can enable freedom but i think for the most part the freedom is deferred you know yeah. you know potentially for years or, or decades and so the, i mean the downside um the the downside obviously is that it can be very consuming. It can be very it can be very stressful. Um, the upside the upsides are but they're there too. Um, you there is a, an immense sense of gratification when you when you create something um, when you're able to employ people and uh, give meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously there's obviously the potential for a financial uh, windfall or, or payoff as well. Um, so there's a, you know there's a lot to be there's a lot to be said for it. I, I think. 
when we first met, I probably I had a more naive view of entrepreneurship that it was sort of the best way. Yeah. Um, that you know, <laughs> if anybody re- was really ambitious, you know, or really wanted to be successful, they were going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And now I've I've changed my view on that entirely. Yeah. Like I do think entrepreneurship is the path for some people, and and for other people, there's there's immense meaning to be found in in other lines of lines of work. I do think you know, almost certainly everyone needs to find find their own creativity and their own spark. But I absolutely believe that you can do that by joining another organization of, of some type, whether it's business or nonprofit or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. I found early in my career, and this wasn't good, like I tried to convert everyone to entrepreneurs. Yep. Yep, <laughs> like I tried exactly. to make everyone an entrepreneur. Like I'd be with Jeff and Jamie, my two partners, you yep. know, and we'd be interviewing someone for a job and I'd be like, you should really be an entrepreneur. Yeah. They'd be like, what are you doing? We're trying to hire this person. I'd be yeah. like, what about this, this, and this? Like, cause I just thought it was the most excellent way. And by the way, I, I think it is for me. It was right. for me. It's almost a condition. I feel like I had Scott Paul on a couple episodes ago, you know, Scott probably yeah. a little bit. It's kind of a condition I think for him as well. Like I couldn't imagine not being an entrepreneur. That's just who I am. But mm. what's interesting, I have converted some friends. I have had helped a lot of friends become entrepreneurs most of them have loved it and done well but some of them don't realize like it never goes away right. when you're an entrepreneur it, it never leaves you're never really on this is what i say i travel all around the world a lot people see that sometimes i'm never not working right mm-hmm. i'm always working no matter where i'm at no matter what i'm doing I am constantly on. And this is something that you may not realize if you have a job and you're actually able to go home at night. That doesn't really happen in entrepreneurship, especially in either a fast-growing company or one that's really struggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, it's something totally. you don't realize, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I like I do think there's um you know there's the boundaries portion of it where you you can stop working, you know, but like it's almost I, and I, this is one of my maybe regrets about the way I've, I've handled it. Like I, I do think for a, for a lot of years I was like, OK, even though this is this business is sort of my entire career, like all of my, you know, potential success is wrapped up in this career wise. Um, I wanted to have I didn't want to leave the family behind. And so I'd say, OK, you know, I get into work at eight and I leave at six and, you know, I'm there in the evening. And I, I for a lot of years I, I did that. But. I, it's impossible for me. I think maybe other people have better, like are able to segment their lives a little bit better, but like to like leave the weight of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I brought that home for sure many for many years on, on Aubrey. And there's no question that she felt that, you know, yeah. and I'm sure my kids felt it to some extent too. And so it's definitely been a trade-off in our, you know, it, in our family. But I think that's one of the gifts, you know, it, it is a, a school of personal development, like learning yeah. to have internal boundaries when other people are depending on you. You know, it's one thing if it's your own reputation that you're risking. I mean, I, I'm sure in every career people are depending on you, but it really felt like this is someone's livelihood that you are risking by choosing to take Memorial Day off or whatever, you know, whatever, <laughs> like bank holiday we yeah. wanted to, to, take, to not to, work for. To yeah. shoot off fireworks the 4th of July. Yeah. Should yeah. I be working? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, and so it, it is a real, it was really a practice in in finding balance and in in setting boundaries that were healthy but and, and not overly risky, but also, you know, not taking for granted that somebody else is going to suffer by by your decisions and i think it's also um it was the other gift was just like learning to not be attached to this idea of success all the time like everything was so uncertain it was so up and down and you know during the cortex years i remember just like that you could come into that situation have these conversations and it was like it's like it's gonna work out like this isn't the end of the world like if if this thing crashes and burns like you just move on and like something else will come along. And where it was, that was really like a new adventure for us. And we were so young. It felt like 
this was like the end death. of everything. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And so that's been really, that's been, that's been a way that I think we've really <clears throat> grown over the years that like there are ups and downs and it's, oh, you can fail and there's something after failure. And so it's okay to lose it. Like it's okay to <clears throat> take bigger risks and like have different seasons. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> you got, and this is what I hope is happening to the listeners as well. I just had an insight as you guys were speaking that I've never had before. I want to share it real quickly, Please. ask you about it, but I hope this is what's happening to people as they listen. I think that I struggle with boundaries with other people because, by the way, I have no boundaries yeah. in terms of my life. Like, I have been always on because I've always been an entrepreneur. I've been always available because I felt like I had to. And so, therefore, when someone else isn't, I'm, I don't understand that lifestyle right. and that yeah. life. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not available, right? And like, I don't – it's hard for me to struggle. And I think a couple – I've had a couple people – one in my governor race and somewhere else kind of say like, where are, you, where are the boundaries here? And it's like, I don't, everything <laughs> blends and meshes together for me. Yeah. So, so that's an insight I just had. And I just want to talk to you, ask one more question about boundaries, thoughts on boundaries, yeah. you know, like healthy boundaries. I, this is something that I haven't explored a lot. I think I've struggled with maybe even not really knowingly. And it's because of who I am and the lifestyle that I've chosen to live. And I kind of impose that on other people and, or think that just every Everyone lives this way yeah. when in actuality they don't. And they don't want to get a call on Memorial Day right. or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, what do you mean? You know, no, go totally. Ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think Aubrey's got a, a lot to say here. But the, the one thing I will say is that I think it depends a lot on just who you are personality-wise. And there is a certain personality type that both Aubrey and I fit into, which is the, the people pleaser. I would say we just like we want to we want to make people happy, you know. The double we, people pleaser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that a good marriage? I don't know. Yeah, no, is absolutely. That, yeah. It's a very accommodating marriage. <laughs> very accommodating marriage. Yes. It is. No, this is interesting. We actually could get into that. Um, but it the the problem I think one of the problems with not having not having strong boundaries even as a even as a people pleaser is that you if you end up saying yes to something that you want to say no to then there is always resentment that goes along with that. And the person that made the request in the first place, the one that you didn't want to comply with, what you did, but you did, is often unaware yeah. of the resentment that you feel toward them. Yeah. And so your relationship underneath the service, surface is you know, festering, but the other person, like they didn't Has do no anything idea. They had no idea. I think yeah. I have caught people yeah. together and I had no idea. <laughs> no, honestly. And obviously there, there, are other, there are other personality types that are sort of the ask and ask and ask. And when they get paired up with somebody that is a sort of boundaryless people pleaser, that can become toxic on on sort of both sides. Where you know the expectations of the asker, they expect them to always be them to always be met. Mm -hmm. So this is something like Aubrey and I at twenty one, like literally, if somebody asked us to do something, that meant we were doing it. Period. Mm -hmm. And only, I mean, only in the last few years have we learned to say no, which is like the scariest thing in the world. And we're just like, oh, we're letting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's really it's really hard but, but you well, think I, it's healthy and important yeah yeah and i was just gonna say i think pairing that with growing up in like very religiously i think i interpreted messages at church to mean that selfish you know, selfishness looked like boundaries and so yeah. i needed to not have any boundaries because that was selfish and so and so it does lead to resentment and i and i i think what we've had to learn is that the only way to actually be a compassionate person is to have healthy boundaries you know, and so that looks like saying you and I think this is Brene Brown that always talks about you have to be free to say no to say yes. And so that has been our practice. Like, it, do I feel free to say no to this? And am I really saying is this a true yes or am I doing this out of fear? 
you know, and, and I think for a lot of my life, my yeses came out of fear. Like if someone asked me something like I could not disappoint them, like that was untenable. It just that it made me so anxious to imagine that kind of resistance. And it is so freeing to be able to say that doesn't work for me. And I, I, that's, you know, and that's a line and I'm, and, yeah. and people are totally respectful of that. I think it, I, I believed that they would feel pushed away and like there was this wedge in our relationship and it is the opposite. Like you have an authentic relationship and I think you feel more connected when you can be really honest about your boundaries. Oh gosh, selfishness. I, I think you're exactly right. I think that we think boundaries mean selfishness. Right. Like yes. in our, I'm speaking in our culture and that can go far and wide outside of Utah potentially. But yeah, I totally agree. Like yeah. that's a really interesting insight. And, and part of, I think, developing strong boundaries is tapping into your own personal authority. And I, I think in the Latter-day Saint faith tradition that we, that we share, like one of the things we do really well and it, it sometimes has unintended side effects is that we do have a lot of respect for authority. And so like as a, you know, as a young person, especially growing up in that, in that sort of, in that sort of faith, like we're looking to our, we're looking to our elders and our leaders for guidance. And I think that's, that's great to have that kind of respect for somebody that has experience beyond, beyond what you have. But sometimes culturally, I think we can also take it a little bit too far. And we're always looking for somebody outside of ourselves to determine what's right for us. And again, like this is something that literally in our mid thirties. This mid-30s, is so rich. Yeah, yeah. Like literally in our mid thirties, we're still like figuring this out. Yeah. And it's just like, why do I think that? Wait a second. I don't think that. That person <laughs> thinks that, you know? And it's just yeah. so, yeah. So it's a really different, different thing once you start to respect what you feel you know, yeah. is, is right deep inside of you. I love that. Yeah, I'm in my mid-40s still trying to figure it out. So you yeah. guys are a decade ahead. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, let me ask one more question about entrepreneurship too. Yeah. And then I want to ask Aubrey about Harvard. Um, and, and this will kind of wrap up. Sure. Um, so, you know, we had some uh, devil's hobbies. We had some good successes. Yep. Um, and, and to, you know, I, I want to ask you a question. So prepare yourself that I don't think Please. I've ever asked you. Oh, oh here you go. That, that might be a little vulnerable. It is vulnerable for me, too. I'm just curious. So Tim went to Harvard, and we're going to talk about that. But, Tim, I was really grateful that when you got out of Harvard or when you were finishing up, you decided – you know, halfway through your time or 18 months through your time at Harvard, I'm going to start another business. Yeah. I am an entrepreneur. I'm going to do it again. And I, I think I was your first call or at least your first call potentially for yep. funding. Why? So I'm going to ask you a hard question. So yeah. why? And I appreciate it. That, and let me just say while you're thinking and, and say, yeah. thank you for calling me back. You know, like we yeah. had had some ups and downs, mainly ups, but we'd always maintained a great relationship and had fun even yeah. when we were struggling, yep. um, which is the right way to do it, I think. But um, I was so grateful that you called me back. And by the way, so I, we were able to, in our venture fund, uh, fund Tim's startup. He has now successfully exited that startup. Yep. It's not totally public, so we won't talk about the details there, but you will have heard of this exit and, and what's going on there. And so Tim's found great success now after a long journey. Um, so to wrap up the entrepreneur, yeah. why did you call me? And yeah. I appreciate it, man. I mean, it goes, yeah, of course. Um, I, I, and this is something I, I probably should have told you this or written you a thank you note or something that said this <laughs> instead of having the conversation right now. But uh, We don't have to have like, it right now. I mean, it goes back to... I mean, it goes back to, I think, so we should talk about, potentially we could get into Jonathan Haidt and the Righteous Mind. That he talks about several different, um, several different sort of areas of, of morality that people like focus on. Uh, I think there are six different, six different areas. One of them that he talks about is loyalty. And what I think I saw in you, Jeff, within the first, 
I don't know, six months, year of working together was that for whatever reason, we had a bond and you were, you were loyal to me and I was loyal to you. Mm -hmm. And that loyalty that I felt from you meant that you had my back no matter what, you know? And part of that, I mean, and obviously that relationship grows when you go through something difficult together, especially like we talked about with, with Cortex. Um, And so I, I just felt, I, I I felt strongly that you were going to back me. You know, yeah. whether that was financially or through mentorship or whatever. I didn't know that you were going to necessarily write a check from business, yeah. you know, but like it was an easy choice because I felt like Jeff Burningham is a person that believes in me and is going to have my back. And I've told I've told Aubrey that many times. Mm-hmm. Like that's what that's what is true about Jeff is that he's going to support me in whatever I'm doing. And so it was an easy it was an easy call. Obviously. I appreciate that. And um, no, I, I obviously I can't thank you enough because. Uh, that backing from the very beginning turned into something that's meaningful, really meaningful for us and our, our, our team, our family. So, and Amen. just like that vote of confidence, <clears throat> you know, not, like you were saying, like not necessarily even the check, but I, I mean, I remember those conversations through business school that, like, that you were there, you know, emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Like we knew, like yeah. you, you, you would be up for whatever the idea was, and that I think, I think mentally, just was that was that gave you a lot of confidence. Yeah, and the uh, the other thing, obviously, Jeff, is that. Having a, a a vote of confidence um, from you uh, led to a lot of uh, votes of confidence from many other people, and obviously there are many people, both team on the team side, on the investor side, that are involved in our in our story. Uh, you know, too difficult to name yeah, everybody yeah. here, yeah. but uh, just having you know having that first vote of confidence, it can be in entrepreneurship and and VC especially like it can be sort of a cascading, a cascading domino effect. And so that really, yeah, that really helped. Well, thanks, Tim. Number, number one, I really appreciate that answer. But number two, I, I asked it for our listeners. I really did. And you gave the perfect, hey, entrepreneurs, you can go through hard times with your mentors, with your investors, and they will still, the right ones will still back you. Yeah. They'll still mm-hmm. be there with you. Yep. Like it's not over if you have tough times. Again, Tim and I have had tough business times and really good business times. Um, that partnership between an entrepreneur and the right investor is something special, actually. And if you have the right investor, uh, they will be with you kind of through thick and thin. I'm glad you felt that way. Yeah. That's the trip type of investor I try to be. And and my point in telling that story, and thank you so much, Tim, is to say, don't give up on your investors. Don't give up on your entrepreneurs and stick with it through thick and thin. That's, Absolutely. Because yeah. no, oftentimes on this podcast, I talk about no life is straight and to the right constantly. You know, like every life is up and down. And um, I want to ask about, you guys grew up in Harvard, kind of, I'm just going to say high school sweethearts. You met in seventh grade during the awkward stage, which is awesome. (laughs) And then you go all the way to Boston. I mean, you guys are from Utah. Like I'm not, I didn't grow up in Utah. I came here to school at BYU. I didn't grow up here. Um, You go all the way to Boston. Boston is a different place. I'm sure you'd been there before, but um, Harvard is a very liberal and awesome school. Um, Aubrey, what was this like for you and your family? You know, um, how, how did the decision get made to go to MBA school and to go to Harvard? And then tell us about that two year experience or whatever, from your perspective. So I remember being like very drawn when, when, when acceptance letters were coming in, I, I had my heart set on Harvard. (laughs) Like I wanted to go to Boston and I think it was just that it felt like a different culture. Like California felt more familiar and like, I, I, I feel like I understood that world, but Boston just felt so foreign. And um, I don't re- even remember deciding. It was just like, as soon as that letter came, it was like, yes, that's the like place. that's where we're going. Yeah. 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 And, and it did feel, it felt like another country. It felt so different. It was so like culturally opposite of anything that we knew. And, and I think 
when you get immersed in something that different, like there's just nothing more um, like growth stimulating. Like there's nothing richer for your brain than to just like be in totally out of your element and you don't know anyone and and every experience is new. It's just, it, it, it. there's just nothing that compares to that. It was such a cool two years to just make all new friends and make friends who were not from our world, you know, yeah. like people who were just had a totally different life experience. And I, I just can't imagine another way to, to, um, like understand people than just like spending, just like go living with, living with them and being in this new place together and, and being, you know, everybody needs friends. Like everybody shows up and nobody knows anyone. So it's such a cool experience yeah. because your neighbors are, it's a fresh start for them too. And so yeah. everybody is so open. It's like everybody's looking for friends. Yeah. And then just to experience like the, the history of Boston and, and to be in this place that is older than, you know, in Utah yeah. or older than all the buildings are older than Utah's buildings. And, you know, we go back to pioneers and they are, we're looking at like revolutionary war stuff in Boston. It was, it was just such an adventure to have, we had these two little kids and um, to get to just like, we'd head out every day with sandwiches and like come home at night. And you know, while Tim was at school, I was like taking the tea (laughs) and like, just like walking around the city. And it was, it was such an incredible experience. And, and also, you know, it was, I was grateful that we had a a time limit that we knew we were going to be there for two years so we can enjoy every minute and know that we were going to come home to parking lots and like easy to (laughs) like places where it was easy to drive and there's no traffic and like nobody gives you a a look for having multiple children. Was, oh, don't get out restarted on the humidity. <laughs> oh, humidity. That's what I said. Oh yeah, gosh, get rid the of the humidity. humidity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can take the humidity. But yeah, it was just, and and also like, uh, it, I loved um, our experience just in in the church, like just being in a in a a new ward and hearing hearing experiences that that were in some ways familiar because it's you know it's the same gospel and you're showing up and you're doing church the same way, but just people showed up differently and in a way that really expanded my mind and I think it was really important for my own growth. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I, I I had the had the same experience. I I think seeing, for one thing, again coming from Utah, where the majority of people that I knew and interacted with with were Latter Day Saints, um, seeing people you you can and I don't think everyone has this perspective. It was mostly me as a naive you know young person, um, but like thinking that that experience being part of a a particular organization, a particular church, sort of means that you've got you've mostly got stuff to share and less to less to learn oh, yeah you know yeah. and going out there and seeing people that had ne- didn't know anything about our about our faith yeah. you know who were so deeply deeply good and so mm-hmm. much better in basically every way than yeah. i was yeah it sort of meant like okay like i don't have it all you yeah know, there's a lot there's a lot out there that that i maybe maybe stop focus so focusing so much on like what you have to learn from me and a lot more on what I have to learn from you. Amen to that. Like, as I've traveled the world, Sally and I, I've traveled over 50 countries. That is the overwhelming feeling I get. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm in the Middle East with Muslims or where, you know, in India with Hindus, the sense that I get is that, again, we're all fellow travelers. We're all Mm -hmm. trying to figure out. We all have pains. You know, we all have a lot to teach each other. And in fact, I find that um, religious orthodoxy oftentimes somehow shaves off some of that grace or that kindness, you know? And, and that's what I think you were recognizing. This is what I've recognized as I've gone to other countries and had a bunch of different experiences. Um, for whatever reason that the our culture or that religious orthodoxy, I'll just say that we all kind of grew up with shaves off some of that grace and kindness. And when you recognize that in someone else, it's like, Oh, there's the light that I'm looking for. Oh, there's what really matters. Like I've been missing the mark around all these 
rules and whatever, regulations, and this is how we do it, and uh, blah, 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 bureaucracy. But, oh, this is what matters. Yep. Would you, is oh, that totally. what you're sensing? I mean, it's, it's, exhi- it's exhilarating to recognize that in someone, to hear somebody express something that resonates with you, but it is, it, it's in a completely different language. Like they're using words that aren't familiar, but they are describing something you know, you know, something you have, you've totally experienced and felt. I, I just, that is the most exhilarating experience, I think. Just like making that kind of connection, but that they're coming at it from their own completely foreign experience. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Jeff. Thank you so much for listening to the Extraordinary Us podcast. There's a lot of momentum behind the podcast right now, and we are so excited. I've got a special guest with me for a second here, my wife, Sally. Hello, good to be here. Why are you here, Sal? We're starting a new podcast together, which I am super excited about. It is called Under Our Bed. And we are literally people under our bed recording We are sitting right under our bed. And if you want to hear more about why we called it Under Our Bed, tune in to our first episode, wherever you get your podcasts, because we're going to explain what it means. We hope to have candid and meaningful conversations together about issues that are relevant to you today. Absolutely. Good night, Sal. Good night. So you're at Harvard. You have a lot of opportunities to potentially work somewhere, go somewhere else. You decide to come back home to Utah to do entrepreneurship. And again, I'm pivoting to... And did you decide or did you think you're going to do something about your faith? And by the way, this podcast is for people of any faith and religion or those not of faith. I think we all can learn from each other. And this is an interesting story, I believe. Yeah. Did you decide that you were going to dive into that? I know that you started writing, if I remember, like blogging or yeah. whatever. Was that the start of it? Or how, how did this Faith Matters come to be? And again, you guys are now on the board. You're doing the podcast. You know, tell us a little bit of that genesis and how that came yeah. to be. So the genesis, I would say, is actually a few years before, yeah, before we moved to Boston. And it started with what you might, I mean, what I think people are terming in, in current language is a faith crisis. Right? And I think that's how it felt. I, that's yeah. how I definitely would have described like, it yeah, some in people, that year. Some people push back against the term, the term crisis, but it can, the, what we, at least in our experience, what we felt did feel like a, like a crisis. Can I clarify one thing on that? Yeah. When you say, I, I get, I think most people understand what you're saying when you say a faith crisis, but was this like a faith crisis, let's say a faith in God or a higher power crisis, or was this a crisis of your own religious upbringing, like the religion that you grew? I'm, I'm yeah. curious. For me, like, it started with with religion in particular and then it sort of cascades Got from it. there mine too exactly yeah um I, and i think our our story is maybe not anything particularly special here but you start to in our in our tradition specifically but actually now that we've talked about you know talked about this with so many people outside of our tradition that it does map in so many ways oh, people yeah. have this experience mm-hmm. in every you know in every religion and tradition but you know for us uh, obviously looking at historical issues social issues um, those types of things, you start to wonder, like, is everything that I've been taught, you know, actually the right path? Is it, and it is, is it true? You know, and that's a, that's a, I air quote there because, you know, it can mean different things to different people. Yeah. And there is a big question, I think, about what the word true really, you know, can mean used in this context. Um, and it, it started with, I, it started with me, I think is, is being fair. And I, I like suppressed it, you know, pretty, pretty bad for maybe six to 12 months. And I was looking at, uh, you know, I was um, doing a bunch of research, like looking online, like I'd have a specific question about something that was bothering me and then look up what they call apologetics, um, meaning like these are defenders of the faith who, you know, tackle specific questions and, and, and try to give good answers. And I was not I was not buying everything I was reading. 
and it was really starting to, to canker a little bit. And after, you know, after several months, I can't remember exactly how long, I decided I, I felt like, and this again goes back to like a very different mindset, but I felt like I needed to confess these feelings of, of doubt that I was having to, to Aubrey. And I was actually very worried about how, how she was going to react. Um, I thought, you know, potentially if I told her that I literally that if I didn't know that, you know, again, to use the sort of common language that our church was true, um, that she might have a, a, you know, a pretty adverse reaction. Like she like it might be <laughs> like she might punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I mean, but when you when you love someone and you're yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and your your foundation together is built on sort of this common ground and and that common ground could could slip right. away in some yeah. way. Yeah. Then like, what does that mean for the relationship? Yeah. And uh, I did eventually bring it up to her. We were, I remember we were driving on the freeway and I was like, okay, here we go. And I told her like, <laughs> I, I literally, the words I said were, I don't know if the church is true. And that, that like scared me to even yeah. like, even mm-hmm. say those words out loud. I was yeah. like, what is this going to be? And she put her hand on my hand and said, that's totally okay. Like, we're going to go through this together. Yeah. And like that's that awesome, was, Robert. oh, oh my gosh. It was the most meaningful thing in the world to me because and it sort of goes back to that loyalty, you know, that we were talking about in the first place to feel that from someone that they have your back no matter what, yeah. regardless of what, you know, uh, regardless of the trials that you're going through, regardless of where your mindset's at, um, you have someone that's truly on your side that changes your whole perspective. And so then the fear of what I was feeling went away and it become became much more exploratory from there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to pick up the story, I, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I just I always feel bad, like imagining him you know, with that much fear, like really being that uncertain about like what it would mean for a marriage. Yeah. But I really think that is indicative of our worldview at that time. Like yeah. it was, I mean, everything was built on this like knowledge. Like it was in some ways like a badge of honor. Like, and we had always been so in, like we were the kids that checked every box. And, you know, we, we had <laughs> such good friends all through high school. We had like opposite peer pressure. Like you wouldn't mess up because we had so much peer pressure from these good, good friends that were like keeping you in line, Yeah, you know? And so it felt, it, it was, it really rocked my world. Like I, it was a slow motion moment to just be like, what? Like Tim could like, <laughs> Tim could like have yeah. uncertainty. Did you have any sense of this like going on before this? He had started, he had, <laughs> It sounds so stupid now, but he had read, he had started reading Rough Stone Rolling, and I was yeah. like, "So this is a biography know. of Joseph Smith, yeah, yeah which yeah. you can buy at Desert Book, you know, yeah, like yeah. The, like Richard Bushman was, he's yeah. like a patriarch, I think, right now, like you know, he's not, yeah, this yeah. is not like anti Mormon literature, but I remember being like, ooh, I don't know, like you gotta, we gotta be careful about like where what we're <laughs> like, it's not LDS.org or what, that's not even the real thing now, yeah. Anyway, and and but he he was so vulnerable in that moment that that. The only thing I could feel was just like, I can see how how he's really wrestling with this. And so I think I think had he come to me with like, I've been doing this research and there are, you know, eight serious problems with the history yeah. of the church. And like, here they here's are the and I'm going to take them off. Yeah, here's my pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have felt so much resistance. It, like that would have been so amygdala triggering. I think I would have been on the defend the church train. But because he was so vulnerable and open in that moment, all I could feel was like, whatever this is, like, I don't understand it, but I know I totally trust him and love him. And like, if this is what he's experiencing, like, this is legit. This is not about like, he wants to sin, you know, or like, he's lazy, like, this was so real. And so I think just because of the way he approached it, it was so much easier to, to 
um, just like not feel so threatened. Yeah. And again, for, for all our listeners that aren't members of this faith, you may have experienced something similar in your life, right? I sat with actually Kurt Frankham from Leading Saints yeah. right oh, yeah. here like oh, really? a week ago. And um, yeah, it was fun. He interviewed me for the podcast and I asked him actually a question. I just flipped on a hint and said, what are, what are the, what do you think the church is known for around the world? My point is one of the things that we both agreed on was strong families. So I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons that you guys, it is so intertwined, right? Like, yeah. um, the family, our family, our spouse, our children, our parents and siblings is so intertwined with our faith, right? And so it can feel so earth shattering or shaking when you have questions about this. Mm-hmm. Mike, but do you think this is a natural process? As, again, I'm mid forties as I go to midlife or whatever it is. Um, I find my faith changing and growing. And by the way, yeah. maybe not even in a bad way. Right. And, and I assume that whatever your faith may be, this may be a similar journey. You mentioned yeah. that. Totally. Do you agree with that now? And take us through a little bit some of the steps you guys have been through kind of in this faith journey of how you're thinking about things or looking yes. at things differently and how that's strengthened you and helped you. Well, I, I think one good place to start would be there, there are so many actual like frameworks for this that have been developed by very wise people across time and across faith traditions. Um, one of my, Richard Rohr, Richard I know, Rohr yeah, yeah I love he's got the, the first half of life, second half of life framework, which I think is sort of the, uh, the, the simplest one where the first half of life is very, you know, authority based, obedience based, certainty based. Um, and it's a healthy first half of life. He says is totally necessary. Yeah. Like you need to, you need to have uh, some sort of strong framework, even if for the purpose of eventually becoming something to push against, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. instead of just sort of floating out there. Um, and the second half of life then becomes more, uh, more based on internal authority, um, on, on love, on uncertainty in, in some ways, um, on sort of non-binary thinking, you know, and seeing, seeing all sides of an issue. Um, but actually our favorite framework is from a guy, and oh, I should speak for myself here. My favorite framework is from <laughs> from a guy uh, named Brian McLaren. He's a, a former evangelical pastor. He wrote a book that was released just in the last year called called Faith After Doubt. And and the reason we like it so much is that it maps with our own uh, with our own uh, experience so perfectly. And so he has he has faith journeys broken up into four stages. The first is simplicity. Uh, simplicity meaning. So, I love this, by the way. Like yeah. I'm literally taking <laughs> down, taking notes. Keep going. Faith yeah. after doubt. Yeah. yeah. So simplicity is uh, basically black and white thinking. Yeah. You know, this is right. This is wrong. This is true. This is yeah. false. Those. Well, it seems like that has to be kind of a framework. You start as a child, yeah. and like yeah. there's got to be, and that's a healthy way. You're, yeah. Like, healthy either way you're start. floating and nothing is yeah. anything, or you have some black yeah, and white totally. boundaries. And like, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, totally. And we've even tried to like give our kids like nuance too early. And I think sometimes, yeah. and they like push back so hard yeah. against like they're not ready for the yeah. well, and they'll and they will become black and white about the nuance like yeah. then we've just presented them with a yeah. new black and white it's issue totally like true. now <laughs> it's the only right way is to be nuanced and yeah. so it is something you have to they have to grow through like they've got to start at black and white that's just, okay and yeah. that's healthy and great yeah. so, so simplicity. simplicity simplicity yeah and i should preface by saying all of the all of the developers of these frameworks would 100 percent push back on the idea that any stage is better than any other stage it, they sort of are what they are and they to some extent they do uh, represent stages of maturity, but there are healthy expressions of of each stage, Got and it. I think they and they all serve their own purposes. Mm-hmm. Even when someone moves into another stage, it would be unhealthy if they didn't take the best things of of the previous stage of maturity with them. Um, and so, uh, anybody that's 
uh, that's hearing this and hearing any any judgment about any of these uh, any of these stages, I I don't think I I really don't want that to be the case, and I want to make clear that I think I in many ways inhabit all of the all of the stages, um, and you know at different and in different contexts of my life, I'm in more in one than in another. Got it. Um, but the uh, so post simplicity is what Brian McLaren calls complexity, and so that and I think um, actually apologetics that we were talking about like these really complex answers to tough questions is a perfect expression of complexity where it's like, okay, this isn't simple. Like there's, there's a lot going on here, but if you just dig hard enough, research hard enough, try hard enough, um, you're going to come up with in the end, the perfect answer to this, to this question. And I think this is where a lot of churches thrive, this space where, you know, you're coming up with systems for success. Like these are three steps that will help you to (laughs) do this thing better. This is where handbooks. 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 And you know, like when we were doing personal progress, like what better example of, of this complexity stage, like here, here's, you know, all these chapters and then multiple headings and you're going to set a goal and then you're going to do this thing for three weeks. And like, it is a system of complexity, which is so healthy for, for that age, you know, or for whatever, when you're in that stage, like that is, that is such a healthy thing to be doing, but that's what it looks like. It looks like programs and progress and Which is so hard. And there's where the bureaucracy comes in. Right. And I love Richard Rohr's thinking about this and remind me, was he, an angelic. He's Catholic. He's a Franciscan. Franciscan friar. friar. Yep. That's right. Okay. And it, but this is where the bureaucracy comes in, though. And it's kind of like, uh, let me just say, kind of putting man in front of you and your relationship with God, right? Which oh, is really hard, point. right? Like yeah. I think. So, but keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. And you so, have a real external authority at that point. Like yeah. when when someone asks you what you believe, you're going to give them a quote from someone, a general authority, or yeah. you know, from somebody from somebody who you think from has the more pope. authority. Yep. From Whatever, the, yeah. 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 That's what your answers will sound like. Yep. Totally. And this and I fully inhabited this stage personally on my mission. I think like I was I memorized a scripture almost every day at my mission. You know, it was like and like was looking for like the deepest connections, all of those things. Um, and for many years and for many years after the the faith crisis part that we've that we've described briefly, I think was me entering into Brian McLaren's next stage, was, which is called complexity. Per, excuse me, perplexity. Yes, thank you. Um, perplexity is a very, very simple confusing. framework, yeah. people. Like just yeah, very complexity simple. Followed by complexity. Dude, we, we've complexity. gotten deep. Yeah. Like we started so jovial, and now we're like, this is okay. Yeah. Now we're into Harvard this, PhD Tim Chavez. Okay, perplexity. Okay, so, so perplexity is where I mean to put it simply, everything sort of falls apart. So you've gone deep into complexity, and the answers aren't necessarily working for you. The frameworks you don't think are working. And instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take out of my life the things that aren't working for me, you sort of start to deconstruct everything. Um, you question everything you've ever learned, all of the authority figures you've you've ever revered. So this is where you're at when you talk to Yeah, I'm entering, entering perplexity for sure. Um, and it's, I mean, it's probably the hardest stage I would say by far the most emotionally challenging. Yeah, this is where you're most likely to feel really angry or devastated, or it just feels like your world is falling apart. In in so James Fowler has another really um, really popular framework, and his his equivalent stage is stage four, and he calls it a leaving. You have a leaving home experience. It's so for a lot of people, this happens in college. Like they they are literally leaving home, yeah. but for LDS, they're going on missions and they're getting married and they're sort of like retrenching. So for so a lot of times, this doesn't happen until your thirties or forties. Yeah, and it's a lot more disruptive at that point. And so so that so it can feel really negative for somebody who's been in in that complexity stage for a long time, and then in middle adulthood moves through this. 
That's awesome. I, I appreciate that explanation. And I'm, I don't know anything about this framework. Never heard it before. But I'm going to – I want to guess what stage four is. Oh, or I hope what yes. it is. It's probably not. <laughs> yeah, no, please. Serenity. Please. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's he, really close. It should go from complexity he, he, yeah, to serenity, right? Okay. Like, but go ahead. This is so yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah Brian McLaren talked about how he had several different names for stage four. Was serenity one of them? I think it was. It was something about peace. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah. He, calls it, he calls it harmony. Harmony. Okay. Yeah. But, I, I think get serenity points for better. that. They yeah, take that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, because that's kind of what I feel. By the way, I am entering into like, I, really? and I'm trying to inhabit. And yeah. I think you guys are. Yeah. In I think the so same too. Place. Like, I'm trying to be in this, and I'd call it like this serenity. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, Tim, I think. So. I think. I think. On that. my best days, I I somewhat inhabit this stage, mm-hmm. and that's that's not always. Yeah. You know, it's um, hard to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think one of the reasons he um, that harmony you know can work as a as a title for it is that it does integrate all the different all the different previous stages, like and they but they work together instead of sort of like Got being uh, in contrast you know one uh, with with one another. Um, the the title of the book where he lays out this framework, like I said, is faith after doubt, and that's where that's where harmony really starts to come in. Is like it, what he says he says it in such a beautiful way, but. Faith before doubt for, for Brian looks like correct beliefs and faith after doubt simply looks like love. And so you, yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, love Jeff, is the answer. Love is the yeah. answer. Yeah. And I, I think, so th- what he would say is that, and that doubt has been sort of an accompanying, uh, you know, companion all along, even if you didn't realize it, it took you from simplicity to complexity because you realized there needed to be, there needed to be something a little bit more. It took you from complexity into perplexity because you're saying, I don't know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that there has to be some sort of, some sort of order, even if it didn't look like what it looked like before that takes you out of perplexity into, into harmony. And like I said, I think I, I am very reluctant to say, oh, here I am. Like, I'm a model for, for this stage four. Like, I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the case at all. But, and I think all of us, like I said, inhabit this on, in different contexts and in, in different times. But on, on my best days now where I'm able to feel, uh, feel this stage, this harmony stage inside of me, I'm able to look at everyone regardless of what stage they're in and obviously I can't judge what stage they're in, but regardless of what stage I think they're in and feel absolute love toward them and appreciation for what they're bringing to the table. Amen. I love this conversation because I I feel like faith (laughs) is a, um, this is something we all grapple with Mm -hmm. all everyone, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you have to wrestle with this question or these questions, you know, is there life after death? Are, am I here for a purpose? Is there a higher power? What am I here to do on earth? And so these fundamental questions, I think, are something that we all grapple with, no matter our faith tradition or no tradition at all. Um, yeah. I could talk with you guys about this forever, and I mean that sincerely, <laughs> you know, and we yeah. kind of have done that yeah. at times, Tim, at lunch. 100%. But um, I want to try. So what, so Aubrey, yeah. purpose of faith matters. So bring this journey to like, because even I, who have listened to the podcast some and know you guys and know Terrell and know Bill Turnbull, one of the founders, and I, I, what is the purpose of Faith Matters? Sum up, like, what are we, and maybe, I know it's, like, probably forming. It's kind of a startup, right? So you're like, <laughs> you know, you don't know what, what is the purpose of Faith Matters? Why is it here? How can people find it? What do you, why are you guys, why are you involved, Aubrey? So, well, I can tell you how we, we, we um, you know, kind of in the middle of this, what became clear was that you know, when apologetics weren't really working, we realized that we weren't looking for an answer. Like it just started becoming more clear that like there really wasn't going to be a great answer. Like there, nobody was going to be able to come and prove to us 
<laughs> like God, you know, like at the end of the day, like that was a fact, like nobody could convince us one way or another. And we heard Terrell Gibbons speaking somewhere about, about that exact fact that like you the point of faith is that there is uncertainty. If it, if, if there, if you were compelled to believe in all of these things and there would be no faith. And he compared it to gravity that every single time you drop something, it's going to fall. And you, you so you're compelled to believe in gravity because there's never an instance where that's not going to happen. Yeah. And faith can't be that way. Like there have to be equal reasons to, to believe and not to believe. And that kind of just like blew my mind open <laughs> in, in the best way. And it made me realize that like we could, we could keep studying these issues and learning, but at the end of the day, we were going to have to make a decision and God wasn't going to compel us to think one way or another. And so um, we got connected with Faith Matters through Terrell, just because we kind of been following his work closely in Fiona. Um, and then we, Tim kind of just said, we we love this space and we want to help. And they We're here started to volunteer. putting yeah. us to work. Yeah. And they said, great, yep. we yeah. need volunteers. Yeah, no, exactly. and, and I think maybe the easiest way to sum up what their goal is, is just to create a more expansive Mormonism. Like, and to, instead of feeling like if you have a faith crisis, you got to choose if you're in or out. Like, what, like it's... We don't even need, we don't need that word anymore. Like what it, it would, I think in a perfect world, people wouldn't feel like it was a crisis. It would just feel like growth. Like we could be growing together and asking questions together and not have this, this crisis of feeling like if we're allowed to stay or not. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that's kind of how I see what we're doing. Like let's have conversations that just expand, expand our, our borders. I just want to say this again. I love this conversation and I do because I'm actually thinking of it now politically. Like yeah. we are mm. so tribalistic right yes. now. Like we get into our tribes, whether it's religious or ethnicity or um, yeah. politics, and we somehow see the other as less than human or yep. what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, yeah. again, this is kind of hitting at the purpose of this podcast, right. which is we are all in this together. People yeah. remember that in your day-to-day -day life, in your day-to-day -day actions, in your words, you know, how you treat others. And if we all did that, obviously th the world would be a better place. Yeah. We'd, we'd have more peace. Others would have more peace. And our world is not at peace right now. Yeah, yeah. Brian McLaren talks about that. This is a human problem. This is not a faith. It's not a religious problem. This is like whatever tribe you start in, you're gonna have, you're gonna go through these these stages of 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 development. I yeah. love that. Well, I love the good work that you're doing at Faith Matters. Um, what's next there? I mean, anything or, or what would you like people to check out? The podcast? Yeah. Or I, I've been uplifted by several of these podcasts. Um, Thank you, you cover really interesting topics. I, I've texted you, Tim, several times yeah. and said, hey, man, I love this or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, what, what's coming next? What are the future plans? Yeah, for sure. So I'd say the first place, the, everything that we do will have a place on faithmatters.org. So that's the that's the place to go if you want to if you want to check out either the podcast or other content that we're we're producing um one so our main uh, sort of initiatives right now are the podcast so we're re releasing basically weekly um we're we're we've started a, a book publisher as well we've published two books so far one by fiona and terrell Givens, and one by patrick mason who's a historian up at, at the u um what are those called yes the fiona and terrell Givens book is called all things new yeah. And Which the Patrick, I read is awesome. yes, the Patrick Mason book is called Restoration. Okay, I have and read that both yet. of them, both of them focus on sort of reworking language in a yes. way that that a lot of times, and it, this is not <laughs> a criticism on on the church at all, but just culturally, we've inherited a lot of like unhealthy yes. words and unhealthy traditions, yeah. and they've just come down 
and it's just, just the kind air of we accept breathe. them. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. who we are. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's like, why? Why are we like this? Why? Why yes. do we say these things? Why do we not talk about grace? I spoke. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, why do we not talk about grace more? It's not part of our yes. vocabulary, and it sh- right. sure should be. Yes. Um. Anyways, totally. Because we all need that grace. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's what we feel when we have. When you guys had that conversation in your car, I, I, I think I would guess, Tim, that one of the main words you would use to describe what you felt from Aubrey was like grace. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that grace is divine. And when you feel that from another human being, that is transformative. Yeah. And you so rarely, I, I'll say, having been a hard charging entrepreneur, competing, have, having ran for governor, having whatever, you so rarely feel that grace, yeah. really, or at yeah. least I have in my everyday life. And it's sad, it's damaging, yeah. it's hard, it's hurtful. I, I, yeah. I think that grace is a perfect word to describe it because it, what it implies is that it's something that you don't deserve because of anything that you've done. Yeah. It's, a, it's a gift. And I love, I mean, I, I did absolutely 100% feel that from Aubrey. And, I, and like you're saying, even, with, even in, in the world of politics or in the world of religion or whatever, the more grace we can extend to each other, the less transactional our our relationships become like, I need this from you in order to, to give you something back. I, it's it, it just sort of a chicken and egg problem. Like grace gets rid of the chicken and egg problem, right? Because yeah. I'm going to freely give regardless of, of what's happened from your side. And whatever comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. do feel that like that conditional love is a component of yeah. our culture and of mo- most religious cultures, yeah. right? It's like very conditional. But anyways, um, I want to yeah. cover one more important topic quickly if we can. Yeah. So hold on, listeners. This is it. But this is, and I'm, I'm going to forego some of the normal questions that I ask people. But I just I want to talk a little bit about mental health. It's been a critical year. I had a therapist on a couple episodes ago, Paul George, who I, by the way, have seen from time to time and has become a good friend. Um, it's uh, it's obviously something we're a lot more aware of via COVID, et cetera. And Tim, I know that you've from afar. I kind of have observed and know that you have struggled a little bit with OCD and That's some right. other things um, at times. Let's talk about mental health in terms of your family, in terms of what you've learned and what advice you might have for listeners during this very difficult time where we're actually thinking, it, which I think is great, even you know, John Huntsman Jr., I loved it, on the campaign trail, was pounding and talking about mental health yeah. here in the state mm-hmm. of Utah and how it's such a critical issue. Yeah, uh, t- Let's talk about that for a minute to wrap up. Well, I think, yeah, yeah the, there, I think there is a legitimate mental health crisis going on in this country. Like one of the articles that I always remember is from um, Gene Twangy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right in the Atlantic, where basically it, it coinciding almost perfectly with the rise of smartphones in teenagers' hands, anxiety hey. and depression just absolutely skyrocketed. Ugh. Doesn't this make you guys so... It's absolutely this. scary. Yeah. 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 And I, like you said, I have struggled with mental health. I didn't know what to call it for a long time. Um, and my, my uh, struggle in particular has been what has been with OCD. Um, it's too big of a topic probably to, to tackle a hundred percent right now. But I do think one thing that our culture is doing pretty well, but we could be doing even better is getting rid of the stigma around mental health conversations, um, around seeing therapists and even around, uh, approaching medication. If, um, if that, if, if nothing else has, has really worked, you know, mm-hmm. um, all, all of those things have been involved in our, in our family um, for much for the better, you know? Um, I do think it's, it can be surprising. If you've never been to a therapist, it's easy to sort of discount it. Like, what's that really going to do? But I, w- I would just say that therapists are specifically trained with specific techniques. It's not, it's not woo-woo. 
It's mm-hmm. like this is this is actually scientific and specific types of thought patterns and conversations and changes in the way that you approach your anxiety in this case or OCD in my case um, actually make a huge difference. When I um, I'll just give one example. Is that OK? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I've shared this before. But actually, when I wrote um, when I wrote my one of my essays to get into to business school, I had a friend edit it. And as part of the editing process, he came back with a little with a, a little turn of phrase, three or four words that weren't mine. And I thought they were great. I included it in the essay and I sent it in, ended up getting ended up getting accepted. Um, and within, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I had that I had that memory that like I had done. I had uh, gone through this editing that. process and I was like, oh, my gosh, I cheated on my application. And this is OCD. Like OCD, I, it's <laughs> funny. Oh, it's, it's funny now. Yeah, I call me Tim. Just water under the bridge, bro. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. keep moving forward. Yeah, but OCD, yeah. The, and this happens with all types of um, all types of things in people that suffer from OCD. Um, but I could not. I could not let this go. And I, to the to the point that I was going to, I was going to call or email the dean of admissions and be like, "Hey, just so you know." And Aubrey was. I started telling Aubrey about this plan. She's like, "You're not doing that. Like, <laughs> that's insane." And so, she, but that is the nature. Of, that is OCD, right? Like, that is the intrusive yeah. thought. That Obsessive is what compulsive OCD, disorder. Right? Yeah, the obsession. That was the obsession. That was yeah. The obsession. Yeah. yeah, totally. And the, and I had very much resisted. I had sort of put the pieces together that I probably had OCD prior to this time, um, but I'd always resisted going to going to therapy. And I would just say, and to make this sort of like specific topic or this specific conversation more general, um, having Aubrey then essentially force me to go to therapy was the turning point in my in my own mental health. And so when was this? Was this, this pre-business two, school? This is pre-business school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like instead of basically it was the timing, instead of calling a new admissions and saying like I did this or like I'm not going or whatever. <laughs> you had two Do options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. it was no, you're going to therapy. And so I went weekly for several months prior to business school and my entire mentality changed. Wow. And I and I was given um I was given practices and techniques that I use literally on a daily basis to this point when when new compulsions or new obsessions you know try to raise their ugly heads like i have what i learned back in 2013 Mm -hmm. to help me with that Mm -hmm. and so again trying to make this more general therapy uh therapy is so key for people that are struggling with depression with anxiety with ocd um with suicidality all of those things please 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 don't let the stigma get to you you are normal so many people suffer from some type of of a mental health issue it's even it's i mean i still feel the stigma it's hard for me to talk about this i'm yeah. very self-conscious like thinking about all the people that are going to be listening to this I'm uh, sorry, right now Tim, we didn't need to talk no no no, no, no but it's so I, important though like yeah, yeah i feel like it's important too yeah so i just i just want to I, I just want to preach that preach that gospel a you're not alone and so many people are going through this and b there is actually something that you that you can do about it I was just going to say, I think the tricky thing, though, is that we have a lot of language that hides anxiety and depression, and a lot of it is religious. And so you can go, I think, for <laughs> lots of your life, giving giving your depression words like godly sorrow or, or you, yeah. know, you know, guilt or and, <clears throat> and it's, you need to repent or your anxiety. Just same thing, like this is guilt and this yeah. is this is or selfishness. And like you can you can hide and not realize that 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 what other people are calling anxiety and guilt, you have created a religious vocabulary one big one big one is like a prompting like a spiritual prompting. oh my gosh a prompting like that That is OCD. that could be that could be a compulsion (laughs) 
You know, yeah. it's just like, oh, I need to, I need to do this very specific <laughs> I need to go thing lock right the door. Now. Is the oven <clears throat> off? I yeah. hope it, there are like a hundred people that I know that are listening to this right now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, the thing is, that I'm very close well, to. You know what's amazing is like. And we all, we all struggle with it, right? Like, again, yeah. we're all struggling. This is the point. Yeah, ex exactly. And there, I mean, obviously mental health issues are very widespread, but somewhere from like one to three people out of a hundred actually suffer from OCD specifically. And so that's yeah. like out of the number of you people, you know, there's yeah. probably a dozen, you know, yeah. like that, you know, pretty well. And so yeah. it's, yeah, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big issue. And we, like Aubrey said, we sometimes don't get the help we need because we have other explanations for what's actually going but on. I think this is a litmus test. We talked to Bonnie Young a couple of weeks ago and she's a, um, a therapist that works specifically, I mean, not exclusively, but, but often with LDS people who have OCD. And, and something that she said, I think was so helpful because you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. Like you don't know that you're looking for OCD. You're just, you think everyone feels the way you feel because that's all you know. And so something that she said that I think is really helpful is that she says when she sees people over-functioning, it's almost always a sign of anxiety. And when she sees people under-functioning, there's almost always some underlying depression. So I think that's a good place to start. If you are over-functioning in every area of your life and people are telling you that you're over-functioning and it's normal for you, I think that's a good red flag. Like maybe that's a reason to just like go check in, like go check in with a therapist and find out if there's something that could give you more peace. This has been such a rich conversation, guys. It was yeah. so many layers, starting off with the yeah. uh, devil's favorite hobby yeah, exactly. and, and ending with mental health. Um, Aubrey, I'm going to give you the final word if we oh. can here. Let's let's wrap up. Is there anything else that you'd like to share as we wrap up uh, this episode? Any, any thoughts or feelings yeah. that maybe you weren't able to express? Well, I, actually, the thing that comes to mind, because I think it actually, um, it relates to every single thing that we talk about. And I, I think that something that we have learned over the almost 15 years that we've had this adventure together. I, I think in entrepreneurship, in mental health, in the church, the thing that we have learned is, is, is acceptance of uncertainty. Like that seems like the answer. It is the answer with OCD and it's the answer with testimony. And it's the answer with the wild ride of entrepreneurship that if you can, if you can just accept uncertainty and, and have peace in uncertainty, then nothing disturbs you, you know, like there is, there is real deep peace, like the peace that passeth all understanding. That is to me just total acceptance of uncertainty. Amen. Aubrey and Tim Chavez. <laughs> yes. I appreciate your friendship. We do too, Thanks Jeff. So much. Much. Thanks Thank so, so much for coming on today. It's been fun. All right. Yeah, appreciate it. Ya. What a grab bag of interesting thoughts and feelings. It's great to be with good friends that have a history together. And I really respect the Chavez's in so many ways. We have had ups and downs in business, but it's ended well. Y you will have heard of the acquisition of Tim's company and a lot of exciting things going on uh, by the time this is released. And uh, I'm so excited for his success, but it hasn't always been that way. Do not fret entrepreneurs. If you're in a good market and you have a good plan, things can turn around for you as well. I really love that talk about boundaries, and I, I want to apologize to anyone in my life, past uh, family and friends and coworkers. I haven't had boundaries in my life in terms of working and not working and, and things like that. And I, I love those thoughts about healthy boundaries leading to healthy people. That was powerful. We covered uh, mental health. We covered religion and faith. I think that that was a critical conversation. Again, whether you're a believer or not, these are questions that we wrestle with, existential questions that I think all of us look at and face and, and wonder. 
And I love the way that we spoke about that today. I hope that you gained insights as well, that it wasn't just me, that you feel uplifted from this conversation. I'm excited to see what Tim and Aubrey do in the future. Like I said, I'm grateful for that friendship and I'm grateful for your support. Please don't hesitate to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends about the Extraordinary Us podcast. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Extraordinary Us podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. Hey guys, what's up? It's Jeff. And Sal. I'm here with my wife. Why? Because we're starting a podcast together. Yes, we are. And it's called... Under Our Bed. Why is it called that, Sally? Because we are sitting under our bed right now. We are. In this podcast studio. Yes. And we're going to be talking about things that are interesting, vulnerable, relevant. Funny. So check it out. funny if you're on (laughs) so check it out wherever you get your podcast wherever you listen to the extraordinary us look for under our bed with jeff and sal check it out good night good night